Science. Welcome to Probably Science. I'm Andy. Uh, with me, as always, Matt Kirshen. Hey, how's it going? Uh, uh, Jesse, uh, Jesse Case is joining us. Hey, as guys. Semi-regular and very welcome uh, co-host. We're going to get into our special guest in a second, but... We just found something out, so we're like, we have to start recording now before we talk any more about this. <laughs> what? We just All right. <laughs> I was just trying to, I was just telling you guys I can get you guys a gig if you want to do it. And that gig is? Being the comic relief on the dating game. Being the third contestant Being on the Being the third contestant game. that they know they're not going to pick, and you just get to say whatever you want. It's like mall rats. It's great. It's a great gig. It's a little <laughs> bit of money. How did you, get, you've been on TV multiple times, you're saying, on the dating game. I've been on the dating game a lot. How is this not, <laughs> how is this real of you on the dating game, not the front page of your Facebook, not, not the background of your, of your it's Twitter wallpaper? It's not a great credit. It's a little embarrassing. Yeah, but do you have them all recorded? Uh, no, no, I don't. I, I mean, because surely of a compilation seen. of those. Wait, do the viewers not recognize? Wait, that, that, that's the, the schlub from two weeks ago. Thank you. <laughs> Ooh, thank you. Um, Acclimating herself quickly to the podcast. Yeah. That is the voice of Kathleen Ritterbush. Yes. <laughs> uh, assuming his acting skills are sharp enough to pull okay, off schlubby, which would be the job, would it? Okay, sure. Good save. Yeah, he's, uh, good save. Meisner trained, so he can <laughs> good, be good save. How to be a schlub? Yeah, he good save. Schlub into the mirror. Uh, yeah. yeah. Is that why you've been living as a schlub for a while, uh, just to get into character? I'm a method. I'm a method <laughs> yeah. schlub. <laughs> do you do like the Boogie Nights affirmation in the mirror before you go out there? I'm a schlub. 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 Bright shining. Uh, and then you pull Jesus an average Christ. penis out. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Well, this turned into a Jesse character assassination. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Well, I'll. Yeah. I mean, I, so I've got the schlub thing covered. I, I will absolutely. Do you um, do other? What other? What have you gone on to like? Foreign chef. <laughs> uh, no, no. It's always just you know. Break dancer. Kind of make jokes. I mean, they just want someone's kind of quick on their feet. You guys would be great for it. I like it. I'll do it. I mean, but like you run the risk of with me of getting picked. I mean, if I'm on there, the, like they know not to pick risk. you. That's the <laughs> oh, thing. You say like the contestants. Yeah, you're always contestant number three. I don't even know if I'm, <laughs> dude. <laughs> you're always number three. Yeah, you're always. Here's the thing: is like I literally don't even know if I'm supposed to be talking about this. <laughs> like I don't think the public oh, knows man. this is the thing they do. Like I might never get hired again. Like I don't know if this is a thing. If, it, if it, there's going to be a massive expose, this. or it's going to be on. Yeah, like I think I'm just like out. I think I'm just like WikiLeaks the dating game. <laughs> that like a lot a lot of times the the a lot of times the the girl knows like okay you have to just pick one or two and then this other guy's going to be a jackass. You're not allowed to pick the third one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's like there was a girl. Uh, you, know, you remember Eliminate? Did you guys watch Eliminate? No. There used to be this this two hour, this hour block of time on a lot of. Um, like UHF channels, that's not even the word anymore, but whatever, like syndicated, where the first half hour would be blind date, the last half hour would be eliminate, and that was the thing where one person had four possible suitors, they went out together as a group, and then over the course of the half hour, eliminated the people sure. one at a time. And the one they did in Portland was... Oh, it I sounds think, like eliminate is why. Hey, hey, get it, but it's for dating. Yeah. yeah they replaced oh. that. <laughs> oh. Yeah. That's smart. But that's there was smart. a great one in Portland where the girl was just way too cool for the show. Like, not in an annoying way, in a great way. Right. Like she, and so she was just messing with everything at every turn, and she she picked, she picked made the exact choices they didn't want her to make and ended up with, like, the weird guy, you right. know, and she was being weird, and she was, like, making fun of the show <laughs> on the show. It was the best. I was so proud of Portland when I saw that. Yeah. So, yeah, you're told not to pick the third one, but, you know. Yeah, but you, you just have to up, say, you, can, you just have to give funny, like, funny answers. Do you remember any of your greatest hits? Uh, one that got a huge laugh was um, they asked they okay so she asked um, 
you know, they'll ask the same question to a few different contestants, mm-hmm. right? Uh-huh. So, like, I'm number three. And she goes, like, contestant number two. By the way, for our British listeners, uh, this is Blind Date. That's the show that became Blind Date in Britain. Okay. Wait, wait, wait. You're saying that that wasn't even an original show? The dating game it has been around forever was a British show No, first? no, I don't know which one came first. Uh, that's one of those ones where I don't know which format, oh, okay. who had the format first. But it's the same, it's roughly the same format. Yeah. So she goes, uh, she goes, contestant number two, um, I love, I love reading. I love literature. What book title would describe your style in the bedroom? You know? And he goes like... Uh, Harry Potter because I'm magic or something like that you know some like douchey like some some douchey ITT tech like grad answer you know and um, and then she goes contestant number three what would your book be and and I said uh, I'd go with Tale of Two Cities because I'm easily the thickest Dickens (laughs) 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 and that like destroyed like the host lost it it was awesome Um, that's awesome (laughs) That, I don't know how the, I, my entire reel would be that. Like, why <laughs> you should edit these together if you're not just making all this up, which I still think you might be doing. No, I'm absolutely not. But I don't have it. Like, I don't have the footage. But I, I'm going to try to get. That's a good idea. Get those episodes. Yeah, because oh, I've God, worn yeah. like ridiculous stuff. Like, dude, I I was confident we'd talked about this before. No, if I <laughs> if I'd known this, I would be hounding you about it constantly to be on there. Like, next time you hear about any, yes, I want to be contestant number three. <laughs> But dude, I've like told you, like, what are you doing today? And I'm like, I got the dating game. Like, we've like talked no, about you it. Haven't. I yes, I have. have. No, you have. Did you just <laughs> assume that I that was Jesse's way metaphor. of saying he's got a date? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the dating game. Good luck, bro. <laughs> it's like heading off to the rat race. I don't think you're actually going to go hang out with a bunch of rodents. You know, like the dating <laughs> right, game is a metaphor. Right. Right. <laughs> uh, we also need to talk about this real quick before we get into science, guys. Nine eleven. Nine eleven. Everybody. Uh, um, also, Andy, our, our roommate's birthday. No, it's not. Yeah, it's Stuart's birthday. <laughs> what? <laughs> really? Yeah. That is so fitting. <laughs> it's Stuart's birthday. It's the worst birthday. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, the Pe- Twin Towers wasn't the worst thing. That <laughs> the, li- the listeners oh, no, know about no, Stuart. No. Yeah, we, uh, we went. We told last week a little bit about the uh, the death scare, and then the, the, the <laughs> we live with two old guys. Oh. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. And yeah. The, not not pictures of health. Not. Uh, yeah. 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 But um, unlike well, us, perfect specimen. <laughs> cautionary tales. Caution. That's what I tell people. Is I live with cautionary tales. Um, but afterwards, his friends came came by and said the doctors. I said this last week, but the doctors said like they've never seen anyone so healthy. Like, I don't think those words <laughs> left the doctors. Well, which no. doctors? Was, do you wanna? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right, right. South of the border doctors. Um, now you have to understand. So this is my first day of being a doctor, and I was previously a hostage <laughs> in a cellar. These are the but I have kids. never <laughs> seen. Also, I've never seen until today. My eyesight has just been fixed. This is the first time I've seen. However, I have never seen anyone this healthy. Yeah. Oh, man. That is just, that is the ultimate, that is so perfect that that is his birthday. Yeah, it's his birthday. So tonight at seven, they're all going to a restaurant called Stanley's, which like, it's all ridiculous. Like, I don't know what that is. Is it like a place that has a lot of uh, prime rib place? I don't know. Do you want to go? Or is it like Stan? Is it Stan Lee's? And it's just everything is. Yeah, it's all comic book. Yeah, spandex and quad muscles. Yeah, sure, (laughs) sure. Eight packs for some reason. There are two little ones up top. If you really get to the point that. uh... (laughs) All right, Mister College Swimmer. (laughs) Hey, he's he's a Stanley apologist. Maybe you can show those off when you're contestant number three. Thank you. Right. Dude, I really will like like hook you guys up with that hooker. I mean, how often do you do it? 
I mean, not often, twice a year, but it's a hilarious gig and it pays all right. I didn't even know the show was still being taped for one thing. Absolutely. That was, that's awesome. Yes, I'd, I'd love to do that. Okay, we've waited too long to get into this. So let's, yes. we have we have an actual scientist again. This we have a great a, guest. Fourth, maybe fifth time we've actually had someone who's qualified to be on a show called Probably Science. Um, Kathleen Ritterbush, who uh, just completed her PhD in paleontology at USC. Which is also I'm happy about because our pod, like I'd say, I mean, we often get facts wrong on this show. Sure. But oh, I'd just say, last week. Just <laughs> last week, in fact, we had... <laughs> We we all we picked up a hoax and we ran with it. Well, not even a hoax. Just like the a, fish is real. It turns out the fish is a real the fish. fish. The, the testicle biting fish you may remember from last week turns out don't necessarily bite testicles. Um, and they don't live in Sweden. They don't live in Sweden. It was the, mar- the one of the marine biologists who a reporter spoke to, just as an offhand joke, said, "Yeah, you better watch your nuts" or something like that. And and the report went. Oh, okay. Better watch the nuts. And obviously, and because the, the pseudoscience sphere was aflame. <laughs> with sure, sure. Well, this isn't proper news, and it'll make our viewers interested. So let's splash that across every. <laughs> right. Yeah. Blaming it on the Swedes, Matt. Always with that. Um, so you're you're a uh, uh, your PhD. Complete. So yeah, I was going to say you we, completed your PhD. Uh, so y- y- you can call me almost Dr. Ritterbush. Oh, okay. I defended Sorry if I jumped the gun. my dissertation. Oh already. great! Congrats. So scientifically, Congrats. I'm in. Thank you. Nice. Yeah. But I haven't turned in the paperwork yet. Okay. Uh, so I still have to hand it over to the uh, so uh, dissertation committee at the university. The professors, the science is all there, but they have sure. to. You know, dot the I's and cross the T's. So you're like at right. the stage between the driving instruct, the examiner saying, yeah, you've passed your test and you're actually getting the license. Precisely. Right. That's okay. exactly where I'm got at. It. I think that, you know, I've like... So if you got pulled both, over for not having a PhD, you could get yourself out of it. Basically, if I went to Cancun right now and never came back, I would not be a doctor. But it's, I think that... Um, Me too. PhD. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, think, I think that PhD people at this stage are more paranoid than like boat people and theater people put together. You know, theater people have all these superstitions and things you can't say. Right. And this sort of, a, oh, hello, doctor. Oh, okay. For those of us who are this close, sure. I'm, done, I'm done. I'm done. And so all what could go wrong? Well, if I never turned the paperwork in, it's all signed, it's all there, but I have to turn it in. And I know that doesn't sound like a lot, but when it's been five oh, no. years, you know? Oh, oh, it's been five years no, no, since I just you finished. defended your no, dissertation. No, I just finished, but I've been... you got to get that paperwork in. <laughs> <laughs> it's been so. a five-year process from coming in bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and saying, this is going to be great. And and now, I still think it's great, but I have to actually get that paperwork filed. Sure. And right. what was your dissertation? What the, what was your thesis? Well, thing? what I went How to does look a pale- at... What does a paleontologist defend? What, what do I defend? Um, <laughs> evolution. Uh, children against the dinosaurs that are marauding on the island? Yes, yeah. exactly. There's that. We actually defend um, your, your right to have observations and interpretations. Um, but I specifically, I work on mass extinctions. Okay. And particularly my project has turned out to be, all right, things died. That's terrible. Uh, what happened next? How did they respond? What was ecology like in marine systems after this big mass extinction? Mm. So that has been really fun. And I think the biggest reason is that, you know... Um, it sounds fun. It is. It is. And I do a lot of field work. <laughs> I get a lot of fossils. So oh, cool, cool. That's cool. Yeah, and I brought a couple for you guys today. Oh, just nice. on my Whoa, oh. what? What is this, a Jack Hanna? What's going on here? <laughs> this is crazy. I know uh, it's not a viewing audience, but it's just... No, that's know, awesome. We can, we can take we can photos take and we can post them. them later, As people yeah. that live with fossils, Andy and I will be happy. Hey. <laughs> hey are. I was going to say you're the first guest to bring props, but there was when we did the Sklar Brothers episode, there was one point where, uh, where one of them remembered that they'd been given a piece of a meteor. Yeah. Oh, uh, nice. 
That's some so we, space we got rock, to, actually. Yeah, we had a little bit of space rock that we got to hold. Um, That's great. But... Um, a meteor was used in my wedding, actually. My the guy officiating handed me a piece of it. Wow. Yeah. In oh yeah, I saw your I saw your wedding ring. What was your maiden name? Oh, so my maiden name is Ritterbush. And Why my... haven't you gotten that changed? So <laughs> Paperwork. Pa- <laughs> Paperwork. We got it back. It's gonna be Alabush. It's going to be Alabush. You really are so combining his, the names you're doing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so my husband's name is Alam. That's his last name. Okay, oh, okay. I thought you were just and measuring. And mine is Ritterbush, so it's going to be Alabush. Ah, I okay. thought you were just marrying someone with a suspiciously similar name. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah, that's what it'll be like. But uh, academically and professionally, we're going to keep our names. So you're going with Alabush, Alabush because the, I know the Bronte Bush isn't a thing anymore, technically. Alabush belonged to us. Um, yeah, <laughs> no. The so, Bronte bush was just a, the, a collection of other bushes that, that the other bush have been bones put together. Yeah, the yeah, Bronte yeah. bush was technically never a, yeah. never a bush. Um, the Apata bush was closer to. Uh, yeah, yeah. So now the Alabush or the is Alabush. just sort of the go-to. It's what we think of. I, I don't know either. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't work on systematics as a paleontologist, by the way. Like, what the, are systematics? What is that? Arguing about the names of things, which is sometimes incredibly important scientifically, and sometimes. Less. Yeah. Who decides what color to color in the dinosaurs when you're reconstructing the pictures? <laughs> oh, well, actually, um, they have Great ways of getting question. at color in the fossil record on feathers and on skin and hair. Um, How do they do that? Well, so the... Because that's always, that's always puzzled me. Like, you know, you've got the bones and I guess you get an idea of what shape it is and you hope you attach the right bits to the right bits and you compare it to other animals in the evolutionary chain and mm-hmm. kind of go, okay, well, this is probably how it fits together because this is how this fits together. But then, sounds how like, sounds like how they do it? Pretty, yeah, pretty basic. <laughs> That's pretty much it, right? I don't know Shin why you need a doctorate the... for this stuff. Listen <laughs> yeah. to his explanation. It's very simple. <laughs> pretty simple. I got, I got a <laughs> just sort of uh, looks like it fits there. Yeah, the thigh bone connects to the beak bone or whatever. Yeah, and, uh, and the weights. whole time in the field, they're always just singing that song. Like, yeah. Whatever yeah. words, whatever they're doing. <laughs> well, that's just... your digging music. Yeah. <laughs> there is a lot of like Indiana Jones theme song singing and I'll admit <laughs> you that really all sure. have, you all have the hats sort of brah, 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 brah. there are people who cultivate a particular beer <laughs> and they will there are people who at the meetings at the meetings in civilization you know with your cup of coffee and you're meeting you know right. loafers dudes will have the hats oh, I mean the quality of hair just so everyone knows that they're the, like, yeah, oh yeah, the quality of hair in a town goes down when our convention arrives. So <laughs> oh, Portland already is kind of dubious, but then you bring in a bunch of vertebrate paleontologists and their like stinky braids and their wow. gooey hats, you know, schlubby, just so everyone knows. <laughs> beyond schlubby. Beyond schlubby. Yeah, this is wow. like Mesozoic schlub happening. Whoa. Mesozoic. Well, it's not as schlubby as the invertebrate paleontologists who just sit there like a blob. Right? <laughs> yeah. They're the ones yeah. that are... I am one, thank you. Yep. Oh, you're, you're very Actually upright. She has excellent posture. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I do, you Surprisingly know, for an invertebrate. Yeah. yeah, it's great posture. So, But nobody um, ever has like a whip on their belt, though, because that would cross the line, I think. As a, as oh, I bet you pause for a second. You probably you know some whip. The, we definitely have a, a great picture of one of my favorite professors. Uh, we were on the coast um, by Monterey, and somebody picked up one of those bullwhip kelp and okay. handed it to uh, him. That looks pretty cool. Yeah. Looks pretty cool. Like, okay. All right. Pretty, is that what the, is that actually what they're called? They always reminded me of bull whips, but I didn't know if that's actually what. They're... Well, that's an informal name for the yeah. really big one that has a big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, like not at the end. Nematocyst at the end. Yeah. Sure. So how did how do they determine the the color in like oh, the CGI? So, yeah. For example, a paper came out fairly recently that um, Archaeopteryx were probably black like crows, and the the pigments the feathers can get you know you're usually not going to 
preserve a feather. A lot about what we do is mm-hmm. how do you even preserve something in the first place? How do you capture that? How do you get a snapshot of that feather? And you need just the right circumstances. And depending on mm, the microbes that were involved and breaking it down and the mud that encased it, you can get preservation of things on a cellular level. So the papers that I've read argue, and it's hilarious because it is shapes. It is. Well, there are these sort of oblong preserved objects, which we think are cells of pigment of a certain kind, versus these more spherical ones, which match the pigment cells of a different kind. And so, I'm not using technical jargon for this, because I don't remember it off the top of my head. It's not my thing. But I know people who work on birds. Words like oblong. But honestly, when you're reading the paper as a non-specialist, it is is funny because it comes down to these things that can be a little non-unique, like the shapes. It's the same with microbes. You know, oh, look at these bacteria. They are probably big fossilized bacteria. Well, they're blobs. So okay. you're comparing the shapes right, of blobs. Right. Same for cells of metazoans and sure. cells that would be pigmenting these feathers. There's a lot of guessing going on, but it is kind of cool. Because so you're then it's comparing compelling. it to like black crows have this same shaped pigment exactly. cell. Exactly, exactly. And let's hope that nothing's changed in the million years in between the two. <laughs> well, actually, at least 65 million if we're talking Absolutely. about dinosaurs. Unless but it's <laughs> lying about its age. <laughs> Oh, or unless age. you're talking to our roommate, the aforementioned Stu, who believes that humans and dinosaurs coexist. Coexist, right. yeah. We will get onto that in a bit. Cause I, cause I, no, because still I, the biggest argument I've ever had. Because <laughs> we were talking uh, uh, just before the show started, and we'll, that your your pre PhD career. Yeah, as, um, some defining pivotal moments in my career choosing life involve humans and dinosaurs. Should we get onto that briefly? What, sure. What was it? I want to know. It. Let's hear about a, a young Ritterbush. <laughs> young Ritterbush. Okay, so... This is post-high school, pre-PhD. Yeah, I was in college and I worked on this ship. It was um, a pretty big... It was a 150-foot research vessel. It could sleep like 150 people. And I was doing adventure science education for teens. You know, junior high kids, high school kids. Bring them on board. Take them kayaking, snorkeling. Oh, hey, marine cool. biology. That's what I did yeah, yeah. before the paleo sure, thing. Sure, sure. Yeah, and um, I did that for... I dropped out of school for a semester and did that. And I sort of had this... You know, wow, I actually want to be a scientist. This is going to be great. This is something I want to pursue. But I was telling uh, Matt earlier, I didn't know when I took the job that the boat was named the Rapture because it's coming. Oh, no. Oh, no. And evolution never happened, and neither did the women's movement. So suddenly, (laughs) I was the educator, and I have these wonderful, wonderful experience. The guys that I worked with, you know, like a great time, except this is a really small crew, and I realized that I was suddenly in this predicament where I was to be teaching marine biology to these teenagers sure you know in the field without talking about or giving decent answers to all of evolution <laughs> and the, the culminating moment that i was telling matt about earlier was um yeah kids are squirrely in these trips on the boat they'd be living and sleeping on the boat for like three or four days at a time so one thing we would do in the afternoon uh, evening was sort of this shtick shark panel where the students all ask questions about sharks they write them down and then we have a panel of experts mm-hmm. <clears throat> well being the you know college marine biology student that i was i was the biology expert and the captain of the ship was the uh, shark expert because he'd actually been hunting sharks commercially earlier in his career I know this is sort of roundabout but this was a defining moment for me because you're like I know what they're made of and this guy kills them so between them we've got everything class meet Quint Quint class (laughs) did did he ever say he's going to need a bigger boat (laughs) he actually would lie about the size of his own boat Right. So they're all, all done that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, every every young captain has done that in the field. Yeah, uh, it's the motion of the ocean, right? The motion of the ocean. I shouldn't say right? lie. Please, I should please. say equivocate. But uh, 
<laughs> anyway, so the kids are always asking, oh, what's the deadliest shark? How many times have you been bit by a shark? And the guy, you know, correctly, he said, I want to hold right here and explain to you all that sharks, everyone wants to know how deadly they are. Sharks are not that dangerous. You know, humans are more dangerous than sharks. And, you know, the most dangerous thing that humans do is driving cars on the freeway. Car accidents are very deadly. Sure. And, you know, car accidents are probably the most deadly thing that humans have ever faced in their whole history, more deadly than humans hunting dinosaurs. Oh, jeez. So like, right, true, 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 and, true. Hang on a second. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sitting there in front of, you know, a hundred impressionable 12-year-olds from some incredibly uh, backwater, isolated educational yeah, yeah. system already. And th- I am the scientist sitting next to this man talking about... Um, <laughs> humans hunting dinosaurs and I'm not contradicting him and I'm just oh, sitting wow. there and I was like this this can never happen again this sure. is never going to happen again wow um, you yeah. can never be a comedian because your entire career is uh, <laughs> yeah. moments of just like there's a paycheck coming. There's a paycheck coming. <laughs> I can suffer this well, for half an hour say, like, more. You can never might be a comedian because you'd also coming. be like, I'm going to stick on this boat for a bit longer and have my notebook by my side. Or that. <laughs> right, right. Well, I did that. I mean, I lived I lived on the boat for six months and I Whoa. learned a lot about people and I learned a lot about how to navigate myself and how to do things that I thought were useful for the students that I was serving sure. you know, while their teachers and parents would sit me down before the trip oh. and say, we're not going to include it any of that evolution crap and it was oh like, so these were like hyper-religious kids going under the rapture it was pretty wild it was, I found out after taking the gig and dropping out of college to do it I found out that it was basically the evangelical and not all evangelicals are anti-evolution but it was the evolution free alternative adventure science education program you know in California a lot we're of us did outdoor evolution free alternative <laughs> Christian science program basically it was a place where their kids would be safe sort to not artisanal, be artisanal <laughs> yeah, it was it was really it was really messed up and I um can't believe Did any of the kids it. ever approach you because they were like, We all know this is bullshit. I gotta go on this boat my parents make me I know you'd like to teach evolution and like ask your real opinion about stuff or was there they would often who- I was telling Matt earlier sort of my, my take on it was okay these trips are only three or four days long so it doesn't mean oh, okay. that necessarily sure. for those individual kids the evolution is something that I would have covered in detail right, anyway right, you right. know they're 12 years old or 15 or something so what I would do was give them the pieces and right. they and would wink. ask questions <laughs> yeah. you know and um, I I wasn't really fomenting rebellion or anything, but I was I was allowing them to have the pieces that they would need that would make sense later. And we did have, I remember one specific trip where our clients were a public school and they had no idea that we were going to not give them any evolution. And they were like, you, wait, what? So they basically, <laughs> that school made the same mistake you did and just assumed that, hey, it's just a marine biology exploration That's trip. what it claims to be, so why wouldn't it be? Right. Yeah, wow. it was it's wild. the rapture. I guess. You, you know, that could be elation right, about right. the... No, let me back up a second. What does fomenting mean? Oh. Um, um, to instigate. Okay. Right. Yeah, so you're, you're in, the, you're in this sort of dilemma for the whole... Good word. You're in this dilemma for the trip where you're like, I don't want to necessarily be helping out this company, but at the same time, I don't... Like, if I'm not here, someone who is actively telling them evolution is bullshit will be here. Yeah. So I might. Yeah. So the best thing I can do is just not contradict evolution and give them... Nudge them as much as possible towards it well, and just try and excite them about science and learning. An anti-evolution marine research vessel seems so weird to me. 
Because you think that's that's the most evolutionary shit is like marine biology. That's like that's where like you would just arrive at that conclusion anyway. That evolution is a thing, even if you'd never heard of it before, because of the weird adaptations of all yeah. The if you were if you were on a marine research vessel and evolution had never been a concept, you'd probably invent it. Looking at that stuff, I completely agree that there are these moments where you encounter something like a sea cucumber that looks like a giant shit, and <laughs> it has a face on one end and a butt on the other end. And looking at it, you don't know which is which. And all of these, we will made that mistake, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know, I know. All I think all of the I had this profound experience that all of the lines we draw about life as as mammals and as humans in our society really break down when you get into the marine world. Because, Let me back up. What does yeah. life mean? <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't have the degree in philosophy, uh, but see that whenever we get our scientist guests on the show, there's always that like they always do that good thing of just going, "Nah, this isn't my area of expertise. I don't. I I have to legally disclaim." <laughs> right, right. Um, Sorry. So you were saying? <laughs> yes, the sea pickle. The sea pickle. Yes, yeah, so the sea cucumbers, whatever you want to call them. Um, they they sort of defy. Um, what we expect and I find that really inspiring and interesting myself so I agree with you that studying marine animals and especially marine invertebrates that manage to have these very complex ecologies and are acting and yet lack brains as individuals that's fascinating to me and that's part of what drove me in that direction and I think that's really excellent for people to have an opportunity to see yeah 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 so you after leaving that job though you just decided like I need to get my PhD for myself because I can't deal with these people. What, what was the thought process of going back? Well, you were only ever going to be there for one semester anyway, right? Or- well, it, it was all... I was really unhappy. I was going to a tiny Lutheran college and I was living at home and all my friends went to Boston. All my friends were having the big Ivy League experience. Sure, sure. You know, and so I was just restless and I just wanted out. So I remember when all my friends went off to Harvard. <laughs> it was such a bummer. I got this opportunity <laughs> to go live on this boat and I just... I was in Hawaii for a short trip through the college on this boat, and then they said, don't fly back to L.A., just just stay here on the boat and live here and teach marine biology for junior high kids for the next six months. And I said, deal. Yeah. Um, so I just took it, and then I realized that I did want to be outside all the time, but yeah, I didn't want to be passing around pseudoscience for the rest of my life. I didn't want to be, oh, I heard this one time, so I guess it's true. I didn't want to live that way. I wanted sure. to actually find out for myself. And so I realized if I go back to this same college, which turned out to be a remarkable little, little college. A little insulting, but sure. Sure. Uh, a little insulting to what we do here at the podcast. <laughs> uh, just fish nuts over just here. Say. Uh, yeah, we, um, <laughs> like we have dedicated a lot of time and effort to half digesting and then passing on <laughs> most of the information things that we heard at bars <laughs> and that's most of our science knowledge okay then how about how about this then how about this because this this you're really... better than us we get it no 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 no, no, no. This, this i think is Listen, the language you come in here with your ego <laughs> <laughs> this i think is the language that can help us out and it's something that i really learned on the boat and i've learned more explicitly in my phd is you know you talk to the general public about science and you get a lot of facts you know, people use yeah. words like facts Right. Yeah, and a fact is a squishy thing, you know. And so, um, in in my sphere, the people that I work with, we use the words observations and interpretations. So, observations are things that we can everybody at this table can agree on yes. what we see. Interpretation is where you take it from there, and it involves everything you've brought to the table and additional research you do. Mm-hmm. And so, discussing with the public on those terms, what did we see of fish in Sweden? Uh, 
what's our interpretation? It bit somebody's nuts off. Why do we right. think that? Somebody told us. Well, who's that guy? You can break it down Where and get were to you the last observation. Week? Where were you last week? Right. Right. And so I, I think um, you guys, it's awesome that you're disseminating science and talking about it. And that's, that's so important. And most scientists don't do that or they don't do it worth a damn and they don't know how. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate the opportunity well, it's to a come very, out. It's, a, it's an Asperger's-y field. Um, I feel Very. Like, well, no, I'm serious. I feel like that's why, um, I mean, science has always uh, never had the budget that it deserves or the grants that it deserves um, and can, can't afford very good PR to the general public. So normally whenever there's some, when NASA has to come on and explain why they want to do this very important mission, no one gets behind it because the way they're explaining it is well, like... It- the weirdest like way that can't connect to people at all because because the pe- often the people who are trying to explain the value of the research are too incited yeah and too well that's yeah. what I'm saying yeah it's absolutely. like well the molecular structure of the Venusian soil could be very beneficial to and everyone watching is like well I just want to <laughs> let's just go to war man <laughs> like <laughs> and that's happening to me that oh, is really? happening to me oh yeah because I did all these things right I taught junior high I lived on a boat and I worked with kids and families and all levels of education and then you know. I, I walked in teaching college kids who's through the PhD process. I teach sure. rocks for jocks mostly. You know, college kids who want to major in anything else, right? Um, and they've got to learn about rocks this week. And I was able rocks very well. <laughs> Every school has some. Yeah, that's, yeah that's they do. Really yeah, they, the easy course. The, they the think it's going to be the easiest, exactly. Sure. And so I, did I was for nerds, which is, a, which is a weird sort of a health. <laughs> <laughs> That sounds awesome. Yeah, actually. yeah, that was a good one. Um, and yeah, most of my biology PhD friends actually just study fecal matter, so that's totally fitting. They should have a course like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I was able to speak to them more clearly at the right. time, and mm-hmm. I would roll my eyes at the professors giving a lecture and just nobody knows what you're talking about, man. And mm-hmm. now those same sentences will come pouring out of my mouth, and I'll be saying things that I right. they're looking at me blinking, and I'm like, oh no, I've forgotten English. I don't know well, how it because you've forgotten the steps that you take to to yeah. understand. It's it's really easy to explain something to the level one below you, right? Yes. But but once you're getting a couple of levels below, you're like, oh, hang on a second, how do I put myself in the space of not even knowing that? Okay, so now they need to know. Yeah, right. So I just say, oh, you know, the grain size tells you about the level of energy because of the sediment deposition, and that to me is not a complex concept. I'm talking right. about water moving mud around and sand around. Yeah, to around. you, that's like a special ed concept. But to me, that's like, I, I literally, like, hearing that made me smarter. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I just got smarter. So... <laughs> but, that, but that's also a, a massive problem with things like, things in science that there are disputes about that there shouldn't. Like evolution, or like the complete lack of danger that vaccines actually have. Sure. Where, on the one hand, you've got where it's really hard when you've got this, the the scientists, the doctors, the medical researchers right. giving you facts and evidence and graphs and figures Dude, and Jenny explaining. Jenny McCarthy has a theory, though. Exactly. And... Exactly. And on the other hand, you just got someone going, my child has autism and I just have to hear that. And that's so much easier to understand. Someone who's just going, this is how things are. Or, well, also science isn't isn't or global warming again is another perfect, like climate change is a p- another perfect example of all of science being agreed on this. Right, but science and isn't, somehow isn't there being binary. this idea that there's a debate between them, right. that it's, there's two equal sides. Right. Well, si- science isn't binary. There, it, most of science is gray area, but it's still a definition of that gray area. Yeah. 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 And people need binary. It's easy. Again, again, that because a proper a proper scientist won't be able to won't be able to say. 
this is a hundred percent drop dead guaranteed fact because they'll be like, no, the vast, mo- like an overwhelming amount of evidence points to this being the case. But uh, the nature which, of which science, in science is right. what we mean by a fact. But I can't a hundred percent say it is a fact in a co- in a in a Senate dis- <laughs> disposition. Yeah, becoming or a scientist is about we can only ask questions that are something you can disprove. Because so on the other hand, they're going. It, so you can't say for sure that these things aren't dangerous. And like, well, technically no, but. They aren't sure. Well, or that's technically why... no, but no, definitely global warming is. And we just sound like equivocating, yeah. right? Yeah. Well, that's yeah. scientists always get their asses kicked in Senate hearings, and it sucks, man. Remember watching the global warming like hearings, which yeah. I don't know why they were hearings. Um, that was brutal. I didn't know there was. Yeah, I didn't. I, didn't know I remember watching that when they were trying to figure out like, is this something we need to worry about? Like. Do we need to be getting? Wait, was it was it uh, Ted Levine from Silence of the Lambs who was doing this? Why <laughs> <laughs> are these findings? So, is this is this finding a great big fat girl? <laughs> yeah, or is this a great big? Does this finding put the lotion in the basket? <laughs> <laughs> is global warming? Uh, what kind of lotion do we need for the, the sun now? <laughs> what lotion am I putting in the basket? But they yeah they <laughs> they get destroyed in those up. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's very too deep in. And there's also like the hatred of experts in our culture in general right now, which is people I hate think experts because of the internet. Everyone's like, well, everyone should be able to understand everything. I don't trust someone who claims they have knowledge that I don't have access. Just because that person spent right. twenty years studying nothing but that thing so, I doesn't have, mean well, I, I can't Wikipedia also have an that. opinion. I have Wikipedia. Yeah. Well, that's why I find it very important as an expert to be surrounded by expert props. Um, <laughs> anytime you see an expert, if you're watching CNN and they cut to an expert on the Middle East, he's got a globe on the desk. Now he doesn't <laughs> rotate it to the right spot. Yeah, he doesn't yeah. need that globe. He should know where it is, right? <laughs> In fact, that makes me question his expertise. It's like a cheat sheet. Yeah, <laughs> like he wrote his notes on his hand. Right. He's looking We're over just at looking the globe because uh, uh, Syria is close to. Well, no, it's <laughs> Israel. <laughs> well, no, it's like the way when you go to a doctor's <laughs> office, they have they have like a chart of the bones on the. It's like I don't. <laughs> that makes me not that. trust the doctor. Doctor. It's like, dude, learn the bones. But, but that still comforts you. You're like, this guy, he's got props. He knows his props. Ways. He should have props, because I don't have a chart like that. That's crazy. He doesn't even need the song. Where do you even buy that? <laughs> <laughs> so it's the same thing. Like, I feel like if you went to like a, a Senate committee hearing about like paleontology, and you just sat there, and you had like an Indiana Jones hat, and like a few bones on the table, they would take you more seriously. And maybe that's why I brought fossils today. I yeah, was like exactly. afraid of Can you we guys. Have a look at these fossils? I'm sure. Um, yeah, I I stopped by campus on the way to print some things. You just uh, carry fossils read. in your pocket? Well, so so there was one just on my bookshelf when I was at home that I grabbed for you guys. It just came with the house? Or? You just discovered it when you were brushing <laughs> dust off of the bookshelf. Um, like, there's so mud there's on that. this bookshelf. Hang on a second. And well, and then since I stopped by campus, I grabbed one thing. I wanted to grab a lot of things, but I missed a train. So I just grabbed one thing that we can talk about. Um, yeah. So what's that look like? I would guess this is some sort of uh, it's like a Nautilus shell kind of looking thing. It's definitely a shell. Mm-hmm. And in this case, not a Nautilus, but we can get to those because those are amazing. This one is a little more run-of-the-mill. Okay. Oh, wait, let me snap some pictures. By the way, So la- it is a shell. Yeah, we're going to have to get these on Listeners Tumblr. from last week, uh, we will put up the lounging squirrel picture. A couple of you have asked for that. <laughs> <laughs> I won't believe it if you don't. Uh, you want to hold it? I like, I like your hand, Jesse. Oh, I forgot. Yeah. <laughs> Last week it was so hot that a squirrel on that bench was just passed out on its back. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> he was drunk. Stone cold chilling. He might have been. So that's a snail shell. Okay. But, you know, from a sea snail. Oh, okay. Now, how uh, has, has uh, I assume, some sort of dating? Has How old is this? 
would you imagine? Roughly 201 million years old. 201? Nice. Wow. How long does it take something to fossilize? What's the most recent fossil you could find? I think there's sort of this um, just rule of thumb that 10,000 years. Okay. Is, is the benchmark. When you said I 201, I was expecting thousand, not million years. Million. I was expecting 201. <laughs> <It's> years. <laughs> just 201 years. It's a civil war. It's almost within a living... Like, there's a guy, I think he's in Ethiopia. Um, like wow. It was in the news a few days ago where he's now... He's claiming to be 160 and the oldest man who's ever lived by quite some way. Well, wow. you can find that stuff out. That hit the news. Uh, but you have to cut him in half. He claims... He, count the uh, I think it was Ethiopia. He claims to he claims to clearly remember certain events that were like... From like the <laughs> like, he's like, how else would I know that this happened? <laughs> That's Brilliant. terrific. That's Here's great. a photo of me holding that day's newspaper. <laughs> <laughs> just, General Custer, why? Wow. 201 million years old. Yeah, so the processes that make That's things fossils mindfuck. can happen fast or slow, depending on where the critter lands and gets buried. Uh-huh. But um, yeah, some things just look like a snail shell and it's 200 million years later. How do they form again? And I know I've learned this, but... Uh, oh, various ways. So this one's a snail shell. So snails actually... Um, it's really cool. Snails build their own shell by making a little protein meshwork and then filling it with mineral from ions they take out of the water. Mm-hmm. And then wow. they've got the shell, which is pretty sweet in and of itself. They build yeah. it to their specifications, and then they die, and the shell gets buried. And those same minerals, they pulled them out of the water as individual ions. So the same minerals are in there. It's calcium, carbonate, stuff that's in seawater. And those same minerals can go get between the sand grains and fill up the space. And all of a sudden, you've got you know a carbonate rock or so stuff limestone stuff that you build buildings out of if you go to the um la county courthouse um in downtown la the the courthouse and look in the walls there's all kinds of amazing fossil corals it's a fossil coral reef that the walls are made out of so if you ever have jury duty just stare at the walls and then maybe they'll think you're crazy and let you off um but there are all kinds of amazing corals in there and that's from the kind of system where so many animals are making their shells out of Uh calcium and carbonate ions and putting together these um, these shells that then the water that travels through the fine spaces where all this rubble is gathered mm-hmm. can precipitate more of those minerals the same way that it builds up on your your bathtub or right. your sink you get that mineral film that forms around there it's the same stuff fills up all the space and makes it into a rock basically that's one of the easiest ways and then you know you wait a couple hundred million years things will change but not that much so it's never I guess for some reason I thought it was some process of like so someone's going to mold find being created my... that gets filled in but it's a more subtle that can also happen but it doesn't have to of replacing the thing as, there would never mm-hmm. be a point when it was just like an empty space that so, size so you're saying it's if, just it being replaced with... if I let my bathtub just completely go never clean it again Again. Chances yeah. are better someone will find it. Oh, yeah. million years from now. Yeah, well, and that's the funny thing because we were talking vertebrate and invertebrate paleontology. It's really easy to find fossil snails right. in the world because sure. snails get buried really easily. Yeah. It's harder to find dinosaurs in bathtubs because it's harder to bury them. Mm-hmm. Now, let me ask you this. This is just something, this is probably the most uh, simple, stupid question. Uh, and, I, and I know it's very hard to answer probably because everything is constantly evolving. But how many species are alive today that survived the big dinosaur extinction that you would say they just coexisted with? And like when I see like a horseshoe crab, I'm like, that's prehistoric shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, there's that's a whole bunch. obviously prehistoric. There's or, like, a lot certain of certain bugs. 
You know, uh, let's see awesome things that survived that mass extinction. Well, the chambered nautilus that we brought up earlier, he was looking at this shell. So, hey, it reminds me of a nautilus shell because the big whirl, sort of these big bulbous sure. shells. Sure. And those shells are special because they actually. The I'm nautilus so glad has... you taught junior high kids because you're like on our level. You're talking. <laughs> yeah. this. I'm serious. Like I can tell you're like dumbing it down for us. And I really appreciate well, that. Well, not dumbing it down. I'm getting to no, the you are. essentials you are. of it. I would hope. I would <laughs> and I hope. appreciate it. <laughs> so a chambered nautilus, actually the shell, if you look at this. Um, what is it? A chambered, what's it? A chambered Nautilus, Nautilus. Um, like, like a house the of two thousand like a... leagues under the sea. Name of the boat, <laughs> right? Yeah. Right. So if you look at the table in front of you, and there's this um, pretty, it looks like an orange that's been cut open, and it's on all these little sections. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A chambered Nautilus shell. Most of the shell ha- is walled off into little sections, so it looks just like this tile right. when you look at it. That's different than a snail. A snail just a has a tube that gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and the snail just moves forward and makes more shell as he needs. He doesn't use the stuff in the back it's not useful whereas the chambered nautilus is an oh, animal okay. so the reason the, sh- the snail has that swirly shell pattern is it just gets m- pushed out in stages like a tube of toothpaste almost like curling out the snail is growing larger and c- produces more shell to surround himself um there's a so joke the if you want a geologist are basically what used to fit him when he was tiny yeah, that's his crib that was his baby and then as he gets bigger uh, he I found the snail was rolling all the way in into that nope Nope, the okay. snail isn't very long. If you pull out a garden snail, which is cruel, they're not very big compared right. to all that spiraled back stuff. Okay. Um, very interesting. Yeah. Ah. And so the, so the difference is the chambered nautilus, they have this amazing... And, you know, that shell could be the snail. If you uncoiled it, it could be a straight, like a... Yeah, you know, like yeah. a tube. Mm-hmm. But instead, they have this awesome adaptation of it's all curled up. And so that way, it's out of the way. So chambered nautilus picture the same thing, only the animal only fills the first bit of it. The okay. rest is divided up into sections. We're world's first hot air balloon, right? Slurp all the water out of those chambers, put air in there, and then the animal can get off the ground oh. and swim around, float around. Okay. So it's like a sort of air bladder that it uses to float up or down. Absolutely. So it's these so were great. some of the first animals to really get, the, of the mollusks anyway, the sort of squishy, delicious things sure. in shells, to get off the bottom and swim around and explore life in the water column. And the most famous and well-known and best recognized of shells like that are called ammonites or ammonoids which I didn't bring one for you but um, they're very pretty I know I know I should have I should have one of the big things that I study but um, (laughs) it's only because I hate you Um, they, they all died they all went extinct no way when the dinosaurs died and in fact they're that's not the only mass extinction there's a whole bunch of mass extinctions every time the ammonites barely made it through but they made it like one genus or two genus and then they repopulated the world dominated the seas oceans but when the one hit that killed the dinosaurs these guys completely eliminated the only survivor were a few of the nautiloids so the chambered nautilus that we have now that lives in the Philippines and Palau and you'll see it on people's mantles and you know um, that is a survivor of hundreds of millions of years of disasters okay that's amazing it's awesome that's amazing and the world's first submarine yeah, so basically. How, how, how does it control the air so it can... It, 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 Where does it get the air f- yeah, from yeah. when it's at the base of... Well, um, the, yeah. <laughs> basically, I mean, because yeah. the water is also full of molecules that can be air. Right, right. right? So he's just pulling the water out. And there's this... Um, there are membranes lining the chambers that... You know, sort of if you pull the salt out, then the water will follow. You can mess with Did you ever do those experiments in high school? So osmosis experiments? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That kind of thing. You can make water move around by playing with the ionic concentrations on either side of those membranes. So that's what they do. And they just oh. slurp the water out. And there are all these debates, though, because the chambered nautilus is something that we have. It's alive. Sure. But the ammonites, which are all dead, 
Right. It wasn't. I thought it was one of the. I thought the Nautilus was one of the ammonites. It's not. No. Oh, okay. It turns out that the animal within was probably very different. So the ammonites are this group that had shells of radically, beautifully amazing, different shapes. Whereas all the nautiloids were their own thing, and their shells were pretty much this basketball shape. They're all sure. pretty much similar shapes. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, those guys won, and the ammonites died. And we think that the animal within the shell was very, very different, that the animal within the ammonite shell was something more like a modern squid octopus today, which, you know... And there have been no fossils? No surviving fossils of an ammonite? There are very few cases of the soft bodies of the ammonites okay. because the same conditions that give you a shell don't necessarily preserve a soft body for you. Sure. So there mm-hmm. are fossil squids and fossil octopus, very few and spectacular. But getting those same conditions to give you an ammonite is really tough. So um, I work with a few guys who are in Europe and they're amazing. They work on you know, eyeballs and ink sacs and arms and that's what they try to work on on squid, fossil squids, fossil, octop- fossil octopods and then also looking at the ammonites and try a lot of us together around the world are trying to figure out what was this animal like right yeah because all the soft tissue just doesn't get preserved just gets it's really hard to do it you need just the right circumstances so what i work on is the shape of the shell and what are the hydrodynamic properties of that shell that would give us some evidence of whether this animal could have been allowed to move through the water efficiently or not Mm -hmm. and what does that say about the animal's probable metabolism and what does that say after a mass extinction when some animals flourish and some don't what are we learning about marine ecology this right. is controversial stuff, though, um, because... Yeah, I feel offended. I mean, this, <laughs> this is kind of screwing with me a little. I mean, I just want to scream at you right now. Because this is, the controversy alone, it's, I don't even know if I want this at my house. Um, so, and I, I'm upset just because in Britain it's pronounced controversy. Right. 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 Is, is the controversy Am just night, people? in the... Uh, uh, <laughs> oh, no. Hey, oh, no. I had to. Ouch. I had to. Um, <laughs> is the controversy just in... In the actual cause of the extinctions themselves, or in whether they actually, ha- or what, what's the what's the controversial part? Oh, there's so many, but there, as you as you mentioned earlier, these are the kinds of controversies that are so esoteric and detail oriented that they're the kind of controversy scientists actually have with each other. Mm-hmm. That there was a mass extinction is not controversial, right? But what I was mentioning with, these are controversies like within the sphere. Yeah, yeah. So what I was mentioning with um, the ammonoids and how did they live? Well, let's look at their shells. Was there evidence that the shell would have severely limited locomotion, so it would be really hard to swim, or is there evidence that the shell would have only been efficient at high speeds or great sizes influencing them that the animal should have been having a decent metabolism to move with that shell that is controversial because and it's sort of funny um ammonite specialists sometimes will say and when I, i mean in person or in review to my manuscripts or my proposals they might say well we already know about this experiments were done in the 70s we already know and at the same ammonite specialists yes you mean phil (laughs) <laughs> to be fair, to be fair, you know, there's... Don't you, wouldn't you, like, know them all personally? Kenneth and Peter right. and... Yeah, I mean, you know, there, there's a handful of guys. Right. And they're awesome. And uh, But there there are enough people that there's that there a dialogue. And there can yeah. be controversy. And so one of the controversies is, this is just speculation. But to be fair, so it's also speculation that a T-Rex ate meat. I mean, we didn't see it happen, but look at his teeth. Right. Yeah. The controversy that you were saying that the larger size shell would indicate a metabolism that would... What was the controversial statement again? (laughs) So um, that the different shapes might have prevented or allowed motion through the water Mm -hmm. that could have then been matched in the soft tissues in the animal we don't have a fossil of by capability to use that. And so it's an interesting question. To use that in terms of Uh, To be a swimmer. Yeah. So... um, 
So I was going to say, do you, as well as working with the biologists on this, then do you get together with the physicists and fluid dynamics people? And So I'm stoked that um, part of the reason I've been fussing about when we meet on Wednesday is that I've been meeting with a team of engineers at USC oh, who are using a plastic printer to make idealized specific shell models that we will then put in a tank of water with lasers and ink and everything else to watch how the... Now, this isn't the first time this has been done, but nobody's really done it for a while. So how does the water move around these shells? Updated technology. So the same way if you were designing a plane, you put it in a wind tunnel or a... Exactly. It's the aerospace engineering program that these guys are seniors in and they need to do a senior project. And so I put mine on the list and they they wanted to do it. So it's pretty awesome. awesome. Fluid dynamics blow my mind. It's really cool. I've done some really CGI stuff, right? Yeah, I I have no idea how the algorithms work, but I've done some CGI stuff where it it works it out on its own. Where like you can you pick like the viscosity of the liquid and do all that, and let's say like you you wanted to do something where like just a sphere is dropping into Mm -hmm. liquid, you know, Mm -hmm. and the splash it creates and the ripples, and then you just let the computer go, and it's amazing to watch it. Tweak all those different parameters. I wish I could help, but this is one of the many courses I failed. (laughs) (laughs) One fluid dynamics course, and that was like ah. just remember there's a lot of partial differential equations. Yeah, it's we- it's weird um, stuff, man. But uh well this is now we're talking something that probably science listeners know well, and love with 3D printers. People just their ears just pricked up. <laughs> we do for some reason get more um our listeners are always really good about um emailing in cool stories that they find and, uh, and fake stories about And fake stories as well. Thank you whoever I can't remember who it was who emailed in that story but to be fair, we got a lot of fun out of that story. Yeah. We got a, I, in my defense, did a great Swedish accent. In, let us not let we can't dial back on that. That's true. And in my defense, by the end of the article, I was already saying this might not be a real thing because <laughs> it wasn't even like copy edited correctly. It was, <laughs> and the site we'd never heard of. It was uh, yeah, and you know the the news had a lot of cat pictures. Like had a lot of like. That you may also why, be interested why are in. Like, I can't have science. Why are the probably science listeners so into 3D printing? What's the? It's just captured the imagination of the listening public. I know, I but know. what is the? What's? I mean, let's be honest here. What's the pornographic reason? What's the pornographic <laughs> pull? There has to be. What one. are they you're thinking? Right, right. What are they waiting for in 3D printing technology? I don't know because so far 3D print is the one technology that hasn't been strongly driven by porn. Like a huge amount of. As far as you know. <laughs> yeah. As far as yeah, dude, come on. Come on, it's already out there. It's happened. 3D printed, of whatever. I don't know, because we heard about the gun. The gun was a big story. The first 3D yeah, printed what gun. Came, what came before the gun? The spear, my friend. <laughs> the spear. Um, so, so what? It doesn't always devolve into this, Kathleen. I swear. Just, it does no, always I'm, devolve. I'm yes, assuming it, it does, ab- oh, and I'm enjoying it. It always yeah. devolves into this. Um, I just know that you know, everything began as something sexual. I think 3D printing is no different. I think... Right. I mean, we're talking about organisms that only... Rep- Actually, no, some of these probably re- reproduce asexually, don't they? Or what? all these organisms that we're talking about uh, that are ancient... The I Mennonites. Mean, yeah, they... Well, actually, the mollusks... <laughs> the Mennonites, so, yes. <laughs> so the snails and the ammonites yes. and the nautiloids, those would be reproducing sexually. Oh, okay. um, although snails are pretty cool because a lot of uh, gastropods, uh, stomach foot guys who crawl around, um, they have both a penis and a vagina, and they use them both with each other, and that's pretty awesome. And then sometimes they bite off the other one's penis. I've, I've read mm. this in literature. This isn't something I study directly, but it's pretty awesome. You know, <laughs> so, like Banana slugs so, from Portland. Uh huh. Wait, so that, you say, banana slugs are unique, unique to Portland. Oh no, but I just thought if you're from there, you might have seen. Oh, okay. Them. And they have huge schlongs. They have sex for like hours. <laughs> Jesus, <They're, laughs> all these technical jargony terms. Can you just like ex- explain your, on my left. Just spare us your yeah, scientific mumbo jumbo. <laughs> right. MPYP. What is, I don't this, know. what is this schlong you talking about? <laughs> Where um, 
Yeah, banana slugs. They're also in Santa Cruz. That's their, that's their, yeah. that's their motto. Go banana slugs. Um, so when you say they've got male and female genitals and they 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 use them both simultaneously. So they, like two. They, so, so I've two read that banana slugs both use both penises at the same time, but when they're done, one banana slug might bite off the penis of the other banana slug. So they sixty nine all the time but genitally or who generally gets, who impregnates who then they both do each other oh yeah and then they both go away carrying and having oh. deposited but sometimes one will bite I mean, i've read this in a, a book about banana slugs for the popular reader and it, that um, one would bite off the other's penis and then that one becomes merely a carrier of genes who has to invest a lot of material and time into producing those young whereas there is the no one who's book depositing about banana slugs for the popular reader <laughs> that's, that's, that's maybe a field thing. guide to the banana slug uh, you know for the I was a teenager when I read it so it was definitely eye opening right. Jesus so so then the one that is now left with only uh, with no penis is only now, the vagina is now the the carrier is now has yeah, to receiver. Form the receiver yeah now, well and has now to put in more investments <laughs> yeah exactly you cry its role is just mother salad. from from then on yeah. Jamie Lee Curtis jokes people yeah no I like it yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. alright <laughs> uh, but plenty of other marine invertebrates you're right um, reproduce um, asexually or they have a cycle you mm-hmm. know so like um, jellyfish and corals will have this cycle they go through where they're like I'm just gonna be asexual for a while and they <laughs> They make lots of clones of themselves. I'm just going to focus then, on me for a little bit. Yeah, time. exactly. But <laughs> then those clones are like, those clones are like, you know what? I feel like it's time to just branch out, and I'm going to just shoot some gametes into the water yeah, and see just, where they land. Yeah, just backpack around Europe, just get it out there. <laughs> yeah, get it out there. exactly. And they, they go back and forth every time uh, in this cycle. And How, which species do that? For? All of the things that sting you and have little tentacles. So um, I wish the humans corals. quit doing that right now, man. <laughs> Jesus Christ! One man, one woman. Let's do this. The corals, the anemones, <laughs> the jellyfish. Those are all related to each other because a sea anemone is basically an upside down jellyfish, right? Like take right. a jellyfish and then put him on his head, and he's uh-huh. a sea anemone. Yeah. Same animal. And so when he reproduces <laughs> sexually, the the young will be this little jellyfish-like guy who drifts around, and then one day is like, uh, it's time to become a man, and sits down on his head, and now he's a polyp that's growing out of the ground. Um, So they go back and forth, and so they're classified by some of them spend most of their lives as jellyfish. But they'll have a phase where they do the polyp uh-huh. budding thing but then other ones spend most of their life as polyps so sea anemones so you can go walk on on the beach and they squirt you and yeah. corals which are little tiny itty bitty sea anemones you can barely see that make big stony structures together sure. as friends those are all clones those are all you know if you have one right. head of coral it's all bob 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 Should bob also bob, if you bob, accidentally bob. touch coral when you're scuba diving or snorkeling you it's get stung. slaughter yeah it's also slaughter of all the little tiny guys because right. if you touch the bridge of your nose that's about how thick the layer of living tissue is so the coral head could be the size of this house right. but the living part that's generating all of that rock is just this which is why thick. they generally try to go like don't touch that definitely don't stand on it you're fucking up the ecosystem yeah Wait, I'm saying, you're, you're saying that, the, that that what was the analogy the size of the actual living part of it is just a fraction of the whole or what? yeah so picture do you know sea anemones can you picture yeah, those yeah. It's, so picture them being really tiny and uh-huh. making little thrones for themselves out of shell rock the same way that the snail makes a shell yeah. sure. these guys make like thrones that they sit in and wave their tentacles out of and then when they die somebody does that on top of them on top of them on top of them until you get this huge picture in an apartment building and everybody waving their arms out the windows to right. catch food that's what the coral structure the big thing that you might crash a boat yeah, into yeah. Right. is created Where gradually only... by these tiny organisms that are yeah. only alive on the outside oh, so only the very 
outer surface is alive. Nothing inside is, is alive. So it's there might the be caves and, and sponges and crabs and things that get all up in the inside. Yeah. But th- it becomes rock at that point. And earlier when we were talking about the rock that's in the L.A. courthouse that's making up the walls, it's that uh-huh. kind of rock. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So you but I mean, you and, and just touching any part of it, those are so small, it would kill whatever you're, you're touching. Smashing them, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So it's just, but they can also sting you, right? If they're nasty. Wow. And they can mess up a surfer's face real good. Yeah. Oh yeah. So oh yeah. I could show coral. you some pictures. But that'll especially be the rock underneath. That, yeah. That's you probably know, that you're just smashing that. into. But then also when you get that, then like, reef rash, like it gets infected because <laughs> it's well, the well all stuff. the bacteria in there, yeah, and they yeah, have yeah. symbionts that live in them and pay rent with energy, so it's pretty wild. Oh, they got little symbiotic bacteria that yeah the way the tropical corals are able to make these huge reef systems the way they have enough energy to do that is they have little renters little zozancelli is a fancy science name for this little photosynthesizing nugget that lives inside of them and uses the sunlight and that's why you only get those reefs in the tropical areas where there's not so much gunk in the water they're actually really low nutrient we think like oh the hawaiian tropics it's so amazing really low nutrients lots of light penetrating the water the corals are able to get sure rent in energy and they make these big structures I never wow. knew that. So is there a maximum depth and you'll never find coral beyond a certain depth? Not huge stony rock building corals. Yeah, because they can't get enough sunlight. Yeah, yeah. And that's something that's changed through time as the Earth's climate has changed through time, the position of the continents and so forth. So a very good friend of mine studies reefs uh, and mass extinctions. And I study the things that um, can take over when the reefs die, okay. uh, which are these Okay. Which are the... Uh, wait, this is a different shell this from what different, you showed us before. This is a different fossil. Army different fossil, I'm sorry. This is a testicle. <laughs> it kind of oh, looks like one, I guess. This is a... What, is, what are we looking at? This is a fossil sponge. Okay. Mm. A sea sponge. And you almost never see... I mean... It's funny to see fossils, sea sponges, because they're squishy, right? So they don't usually make very good fossils. And so again, it's that sort of soft matter... Yeah, it's a it's wow. an animal that's fairly soft, and usually what happens is they can be filled with tiny needles, and uh, those tiny needles will just disperse. And a scientist looking in a microscope might see the tiny needles and say, "Aha! I determined that sponges were present somewhere." But to actually have fossils of the little sponge just sitting there on the seafloor—that's a snapshot of the seafloor from two hundred one million years ago. Wow! Yeah. Are you allowed to be taking this offsite to show to us that's right amazing. now? Absolutely, so because they are invertebrates. The laws. Um, in the states and also um, other places that I travel are different um, because they're basically m- microscopic fossils in most cases. You know, uh, it would just be little things in the sediment. Sure, um, that's amazing. Yeah, that's and awesome. so that's that's one that I show people because it actually looks like something. Because most of my fossils yeah. of sponges just look right. like dog so turds. So right. this little this little fella here, You're that's t- a was, fossil sponge. I was, I was, but what about the stuff hub? But it's completely safe to. It's totally safe. It's and the very stu- dead. The stuff around it, or the. But I mean, like I know it's dead, but I was worried it'd be fragile. But it's quite so, solid. So um, the light gray rock is calcium carbonate. Okay. So it's as we were discussing, lots of little critters make shells out of it, breaks into pieces, becomes sure. this squishy, muddy sediment around them. And these other little black nuggets, I don't really know. There's this trade-off between glassy rock called chert that you can make arrowheads out of mm-hmm. and shoot people with, and this um, more easily dissolved and weathered away rock called carbonate that's good for, you know, crappy tombstones and stuff, um, pretty buildings. So these are these little black bits are bits of chert, and I don't know for sure what why they got preserved in that way. And that's right. part of my puzzle is when I'm out there working on these fossils, it's like, I worked for three years looking for snails before yeah. I realized I was looking at rocks made entirely of sponges. Okay. Wow. Because of these things. Like, what am, what, what, what am I even looking at? I don't even know what I'm doing. Wow. How did you, and how did you come to that realization then? 
<laughs> well, I had asked it before and before, like maybe these could be sponges. Ah, I just don't buy it. Uh-huh. And I looked at the microscope slides of the rocks and found all those microscopic pieces of sponges. So we knew they had to be around somewhere. Uh-huh. And then I was out with another um, sort of sedimentologist, paleontologist who I know named Yachty, who's amazing. And she works on things like stromatolites, things that are biological but aren't necessarily symmetrical. She's I very don't know good what at Oh, they're are. these funny lumps of microbes that are very important at certain times in Earth history. And they're also found in the modern in um, Australia are the most famous ones. But they're basically okay. sand lumps made out of yucky microscopic bugs. Uh, okay. I wouldn't okay. say that to my friends because they love them. But she works on things that are biologically created and built, but are not necessarily symmetrical because they're not necessarily metazoans like us. Uh-huh. So she was out with me in the field as my field assistant, and we came to a site where often I'm looking at cliffs, so it's like cross-sections of the rocks, but suddenly we were looking at the bedding planes, like the seafloor snapshots. And these sponges all over the bedding plane, perfectly preserved, were there. And we we said, I don't believe it. Are these... It's insane are these sponges is it even true uh-huh. so we took the ones that were the best candidates that looked the most like sponges cut the trip short packed up the best candidates headed back to the lab and used the scanning electron microscope and yeah. thin sections made microscope slides did all these things to look at these specimens that are they really sponges and they were wow. so ever since then i've been going back and now not just nevada but also peru and saying Ooh. hi i have a shtick that i can do i can find really cryptic life um, that's actually a really important record of change in time following a mass extinction that mm. nobody's really looked at because A, who cares about sponges, and B, you wouldn't even know they're there if you stepped on them. Wow. So how old is that fossil then, the other fossil you brought They're us? both about the same age, about 201 million years old. So these are both ne- Nevada? Old. Yeah, these are both from Nevada, and these so are Nevada both Nevada from... used to be underwater, I take it. Um, yeah, so most of the U.S. at different times in different chunks was underwater. How many mass extinctions have there been? So the big global ones, we usually put the number at five. And then people will argue that really only three were important. But then if you talk to somebody who works on one of the other two, then they'll get upset sure. if you say that. Sure. Um, the three biggest ones were the ones that killed the dinosaurs 65 million years ago. Right. 250 million years ago. Because if you think the time of complex life that makes good fossils is about a half billion years. 500 million years. Okay. It's a lot okay. of time. Halfway through that time, right in the middle, 250 million years ago, right in the middle, the worst mass extinction ever killed, they think, 95% of all species. Do they have an idea of what that might have been? Yes. Um, basically, massive, insane volcano systems, not just spewing their own gases into the atmosphere, but burning through coal deposits in Siberia. So basically what we're doing now with the whole fossil fuels and changing the atmosphere, because if you take stuff buried in the ground and you let it into the atmosphere, that on just a massive, phenomenal scale for So there was so much volcano activity that it actually set fire to the entire coal ridge. Um, It might not have looked like that visually, but effectively, yeah, it burned off and destroyed these coal deposits and, and um, put into the atmosphere things that had been buried in, and squirreled away for a really long time. So you have a radical change of the chemistry of the atmosphere and then it's followed by a change in the chemistry of the oceans. And 50 million years later, same thing again. Pangaea started splitting apart, spewing volcanoes everywhere. We don't know if coal was involved, so the chemical signatures are a little different. But those are your top three mass extinctions. In, right. the, wow. middle of the, in the middle of the history, it got horrible. 50 million years later, happened again. And right. then just a mere 65 million years ago, we lost all the dinosaurs. And that one was not our fault. <laughs> that was not Earth-based, probably. The best evidence is that that was this thing from outer space hitting us. No, I, okay. I know this isn't your expertise, but future projection, where are we at? When's Yellowstone going to kill us all? And is Yellowstone going to kill us all? Nah, no, I mean, we're talking bigger than that. Anything in our 
you know, Cenozoic lifetime. I mean, just since the dinosaurs, it just hasn't been anything that snazzy. So humans, though, in, in terms of volcanism, uh, I'm not impressed, but uh, humans <laughs> are a real force, not just climate change and not just you know hunting it's debated whether we had a role in eliminating the megafauna you know like mm-hmm. africa's still covered in elephants why not north america um, right whoops right. humans showed up so it's debated what role we had in that mm-hmm. um that's some big damage that we did now the whole atmospheric reorganization thing sure. that we're getting done that's pretty awesome um so things are definitely going to change but that's a large part of the science that i work on is studying these mass extinctions to say well hell hold your horses we don't even really know what happened in the past right. the fact that things went extinct has been established for the last 20 30 years but that they went extinct at the same time ecologically what happened to cause it what right. happened after it how did things recover what's going to happen that's what i work on those are the questions sure. we ask because we have in mind shit's hitting the fan right now Ocean acidification, nutrient inputs, uh, climate and chemical change. And, um, you know, what that's going to mean for humans is going to be really dramatic. But we also seem to adapt pretty nicely on fast timescales. But a lot of things are going to change. It's going to be wild. Okay. So what are you thinking? What do you think? And I'm not. I'm um, not okay, so one yeah. thing is coral reefs, um, and this is something specific that I'm studying. Is in the past when we had these kinds of changes, um, coral reefs completely eliminated for the planet for at least a million years. Okay. And in their wake, sponges, seagrasses, clams, sure. uh, and something that we're seeing right now that I think is probably going to be a long-term thing is uh, sea jellies, little jellyfish that sting you, just exploding all around the world. Right. It's sort of like, well, wait, who wins in this scenario? Because we think about, do you ever see that M. Night Shyamalan movie, The Happening? <laughs> yeah. I know do you mind twist. if I spoiler alert it for the whole viewing audience? The, the, the trees are very upset about carbon dioxide. <laughs> yeah. Which, the trees are pissed. But 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 about carbon dioxide. Wait, they love carbon dioxide. Right. Bingo! Thank you. Someone tell I'm not Shamal on this. Yeah. Um, so when we think things are bad, we like biodiversity. We like coral reefs. We like food. We like food to stay where we put it. We right? like to be able to swim in the ocean without getting stung every thirty yeah. seconds. Exactly. So those are things that we like. So humans are going to lose in a lot of ways because where we put our food, you know, all of our maple trees are not producing syrup in the same way that they used to. Things right. and deserts are changing where they're oriented, and climates are changing where they're oriented. So for humans. Society, things are going to change very fast. In the oceans, things like sponges will probably be having a bonanza. Microbes right. are going to sail on by. It's not bad for them. It's great for them. Right. But the kinds of complex metazoan eco- ecologies that we really cherish and we like to go see and the reefs that you like to go on vacation and snorkel around, that sort and of thing. And the agriculture that huge swathes the world rely on. And, that kind of and all of the living habitats that are right next to the ocean where humans like to live. Right. Um, yeah, if you phrase things that way, which I think is useful, it's easier to sell people on on caring about these things. Because, like in the abstract, no one really cares about the Earth in the sense like, do you care about Mars? Like, Earth is nothing's good or bad for the Earth. It just is. You know, it's like there's no sense of good. It's just a planet. But if you phrase it as well, like, good we like to keep biodiversity yeah. because we yeah. as humans will benefit from that, mm-hmm. whether it's from medical life things. Life will or, definitely survive on the planet. Life will survive. You know, and it's like the species have gone extinct before. It doesn't like we just because something has existed doesn't mean it always has to but if you phrase these things when you're trying to get public support as like the benefit to us like there's a reason it's good to keep this much diversity in life Mm -hmm. and maintain things as they are so you would say that human extinction is completely inevitable Oh, just as a... Just, <laughs> paleontology makes one very glib and cynical sometimes. And I would say, well, sure, course. because everybody goes extinct eventually. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's what I mean. That's what I mean. <laughs> but in some things, you know, the Ammonites, they had a good run. Yeah. Hundreds of millions of years of dominating the seas. And then they got, you know, one bad apple from space and they're toast. Yeah, 
Absolutely. Just very like weird. Yeah, it's like I always thought it was funny when um, I forgot which presidential candidate, maybe someone who lost, I think, in the last 12 years, uh, got in trouble for saying they were asking about defense. And he was like, well, yes, we are the world's only biggest and only superpower, but we should prepare ourselves uh, for the day when we're not. And someone's like, what? How dare you say we ever might not be? I'm like, because time passes and it's impossible that the U.S. <laughs> will be the most powerful country until the end of time. Of course. You, you, know yeah. how, you know how U.S. isn't currently afraid of the Carthaginians? <laughs> you know <how> <laughs> right. right. The Ottomans. You know how the yeah, Holy we Roman Empire is. Well, maybe Paris. we should have taken the Ottoman thing a little more carefully the first time around. Sure, sure. <laughs> Controversial. Topical. Getting topical with <laughs> theology. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's easy for me to be glib and say... So that's a funny thing. You were saying nobody cares about the earth. I, I'm a dyed-in-the-world environmentalist. You know, I was a very earnest young person. Of course. And so becoming a paleontologist has been a very comical ride of just taking a deep breath and saying, yeah, all this, you know... It all hits the fan eventually. Yeah, there's no good or bad for a planet. But you could it's, put it off and maybe ease that process for... Right. I mean, I yeah, it's very um, concerning to me um, how, you know, quickly things seem to be changing. It's um, wild. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not yeah. defending no, I know our, not. Ch- our changing of the planet the way we're doing it. I'm just saying it's easier to sell people on why it's bad if you phrase it as how it impacts us in the long term as humans, you know? Yeah, it seems, yeah, I mean, it seems really just alarming to me how, how it's starting to get freakishly, like, you know, the momentum we've built. In terms it seems of, like uh, just on things like global warming, things well, like that. Here's like, a really cool, like, concrete example um, about cephalopods. Again, these tentacle brain having. I like them because they have brains. These yeah. um, the Nautilus, the Ammonites, and the modern ones, the squids, oh, the octopus. Oh. They have brains. They have complex fourteen lobed brains. They can solve problems. Watch each other. Open a jar. Learn how to open the jar. They're oh, yeah, cool. I've seen. I've seen yeah, yeah, videos seen of like the one that could predict who won the soccer games or whatever. You well, know? that's less. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, but you what? know they do interesting things because they do have brains, right? And Octopus that makes them fascinating. Oct- octopi, uh, octopods. They have, they they octopodes. can do relatively complicated problems. Absolutely, right? absolutely, and like so, impressively compared to a lot of animals. I saved my last relationship. <laughs> yeah, I saw one of them do a Sunday crossword in a sitting. Like he didn't. Even get <laughs> yeah, that was yeah, like, and that yeah. that was the times. Too. Yeah, I mean yeah. that's a, that's a short. Well, what day of the week was it? Yeah, it was Sunday. Yeah. Sunday. Yeah. Oh, oh right, right. Um, so, um, so the, here's a story about cephalopods. We are fishing tuna off the coast of the North America like crazy, right? And we have all this change in the climate, in the temperature, in the oxygen. And there's this thing called the oxygen minimum zone, which is you have all this um, productivity in the surface ocean, right? Things that like light make cells and then they die and they fall down and bacteria eat them for breakfast well all those bacteria eating so much for breakfast it falls just when the light is done you know about 300 meters of water you're out of light and you've just got food and bacteria eat it all they slurp up all the oxygen so the oxygen in the water is zilch almost it's really really low and so you end up with this band at about 300 meters 300 or 400 meters in you know, not the top of the ocean, not sure. the bottom of the ocean, this little band near the top where there's like zilch in the way of oxygen. There are these squids called the jumbo squid, which are about your size. Um, and Are they schlubby? Not at all. Okay, good. Um, they. <laughs> Why my size? They're very. <laughs> well, he's about... yeah, the young ones are his size. Okay. So What's Andy's size? What the fuck? You're all Man. sitting. I can't see him. He's behind a computer. Jesus Christ. You're a good size for a squid. Yeah, right. Jesse isn't isn't a schlubby person. He merely <laughs> portrays one 
on, on dating, dating games. Game. Or is That's he a cephalopod? I've just, you know, I've just been, I've been running a lot lately. I've been working <laughs> on it. So yeah, it's a sensitive issue. I got, I got body issues. Also, well, it's good because these squids are incredibly powerful, good. very oh. active, high metabolism yeah. power Excellent predators. Excellent lovers. Excellent lovers. <laughs> and they used to live um, in more southern, southerly climates. But what's happening? I'm from Tennessee. This is perfect. <laughs> see, see, they love, they love the heat. But what's happening is, as the climate changes, as the chemistry changes, and as we remove the tuna, these these squids are making permanent homes up and down the Pacific coast of North America because they love that oxygen minimum zone. They can effectively hold their breath. They can lower how much they need that oxygen. They can decrease their oxygen demand and, and hang I'm a out smoker. all. And he's a smoker. <laughs> they can hang out all day in the oxygen minimum zone and just come out at night to feed. So they can hide from the tunas, which have very good eyesight. Um, that so, would be eating them. They can hide from their predators, the tuna, by hanging out in this oxygen wait, minimum zone. I don't zone. understand why being someplace without oxygen makes you need oxygen less also. Oh, they've got this wild system. And by the way, these guys survived all of the mass extinctions that uh-huh. involved oh, really? extreme... Well, yeah, because they're friends of the Ammonites, friends of the Nautiloids. These guys have been around for a long time. Friends of the Ammonites. <laughs> friends of the Ammonites. <laughs> There's actually a group Friends of the Nautiloids. I've got that bumper sticker, I think. <laughs> right. There actually is a Friends of the Cephalopods that meets every year. I'm going in October. Um, not even friends of the cephalopods. You should be there. It's a riot. Poseidon, god of the sea. <laughs> you, guys, you guys all have tridents? <laughs> You've got to no. have a trident at that It might stab somebody. Friends, um, remove your cloaks. <laughs> See friends unite. I did. <laughs> do, do, do. I did once go dressed as a cephalopod. I had an inflatable shell. I flew the costume no. with me, so it had to fit my suit. I had an inflatable that I put, and then the worst thing happened. I put this study of which shell shape supports which life mode was the paper I was presenting at sure. the conference and I thought what if somebody asked me about my costume and I went very non-committal with just a sort of run-of-the-mill shell that nobody's gonna ask you about your costume that's so stupid I end up with it in an elevator with Peggy Akabuchi who's one of the amnoid experts of the world and we're in an elevator and I haven't really uh, talked be to her before out. and I'm like be ah, ah. and she turns to me she says so what kind of you know can you swim or not and I was like to be determined and it was even more more awkward than being in an ammonite costume. Cephalopod, <laughs> cephalopod cosplay. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that's so nerdy that if someone at Comic Con saw you, they would pants you. Like you would get wedged by someone dressed as Storm. Well, you know the Vertebrate Paleontological Conference is happening. Um, over Halloween here of in Los I Angeles. <laughs> in Los do Angeles I? over Halloween. So the cosplayers that I know, I should tell them to show up at some of these house parties. Oh that's a sexy God. time. Those people yeah. I want pictures. figure it out. It's pictures. It'll be pretty zany. Wow. For what sure. kind of hookers hang out in front of that hotel during the, um, the cephalopod cosplay garments? Yeah, what is the corresponding? Isn't there always a... No, I'm thinking of the electronics convention always has like the adult expo in the floor above it. Right, <laughs> right. Friends of the Octopods. <laughs> that is awesome. Well, if people, if listeners want to attend, uh, where can they go for tickets? I guess it's like the sort of mermaid. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's all mermaid themed. Yeah. Um, I believe the Museum of Natural History of Los Angeles is supporting the event. So I think it's expensive to actually go to the science conference parts, uh, but I'm sure there will be events for the public. And it'll be happening over Halloween here in L.A. So that should be really interesting I don't have for plans, people. guys. What do you think? Should well, we should <laughs> dress up and do start, this. Start you want to take a, a probably science you, you, cosplay field trip? Yeah. You just say it was an inflatable costume, which means that 
this was something you purchased? Like it wasn't. No, no, I made it. You made I, an inflatable. Wow. So I, I bought two hoodies at the Goodwill, one black, one orange, and I cut out the orange hoodie to have like tentacles and stuff. So my head was the body, and the arms were like on my arms and going down sure. my torso. And then I got an inflatable round pool toy, like that you would sit in inner tube, and covered it with cloth and drew a spiral on it and wore that on my back. So <laughs> okay. my legs were out of the picture; they were just in black pants. It was you had to okay. use your imagination. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, but then I could take the shell off and just be an octopus for the night. Um, Obviously. And can you believe I threw this costume out when I moved? Uh, I really should have held on to it because, you know, this year again. Or eBay. Yeah. yeah, you know. Or oh, Etsy. Yeah, but I wouldn't want to be associated with those awkward memories in that elevator. I mean, I would have flipped right out. <laughs> I wouldn't have been able to. I, I, I would have pissed my pants if I was on the elevator. I was pretty sheepish. Yeah. Jesus. Well, that's that's. Uh, I'm, I'm learning as much about the subculture of this world as I am about the actual science, and both of them are equally fascinating. <laughs> they're, not, yeah. they're not all this bad. Uh, <laughs> special case. No, probably. that reminds me of the time I shared a cab with Boris Spassky, 1972 chess runner-up. And, uh, Did you really? No. Oh, <laughs> could not find words in my mouth to talk to this person. I. <laughs> are you still a chess nerd? It seems you've given it up for the summer. It's. Uh, dude, you got to give up chess for the summit. No, I still play every day. Oh, really? Yeah. Why did we stop playing? We did this thing you for a while. You quit playing. You never you never bring out the board anymore. We'll play today. I don't Let's care. Play. Okay. I play all the time. Sorry, that's an aside. Jesse has these phases, and I was worried that that was just a phase because I wanted to get better at chess. I've played and, chess my whole life. Oh, okay. I just I just got bored with losing all the time to uh, my buddy Mike. So so you like, I'm did study. you get bored of always beating me? I've never beaten you once. <laughs> no, but you're particularly bad. Kershaw's <laughs> uh, <laughs> really good. I'm all right. Like, uh, okay. Uh, I did ask him to king me one time. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's probably probably not the best. No, no. Friend, uh, friend of the show and two episodes ago, Nick Doody is a very keen chess player. Oh, yeah. And he's in the middle of writing a chess book with other friend of the show but has never appeared on it chess grandmaster Jonathan Tisdall I don't who's a Norwegian that. chess chess champion who now, keen he's a, means... who's a big fan of uh, comedy oh. keen means enthusiastic or skilled uh well skilled, both right? I'd say yeah okay yeah uh yeah I think in Nick's case he is a good club player and in Jonathan's case, he is a former champion of a country. Sure. Oh, sure. Damn. Can I just ask the guy inside? Is he the one that thinks that animals and uh, humans and dinosaurs coexisted? And I was talking about it. Yeah. Yeah, you know. And I was talking about it while he walked. By. No, 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 no. That was a, that was a different guy. That's okay. A different. different. Now we have a different tale. guy inside. Yeah. Yeah. Um, his. I mean, people. You know, people are welcome to think that. No, I no. Just, his uh, story is different. His, he's hard of hearing, so fact. we can talk probably without. We can talk about it. What I was doing. Here's how. Okay. Here's here's how I'll give you guys a background. I'm sitting out here at this table because I like to do uh, writing out, outdoors, you know. And I was writing a uh, I was writing a sketch, comedy sketch. And the whole I, I I filmed like half of it. I have to start editing it. But the the whole sketch is like basically um, it's it was a fake news piece about where fear comes from. You know how like every every fear that we have has. A, a root as a survival mechanism like in history okay. You know, uh, okay like our like our fear of snakes it's because that used to be a huge threat like big you know lizardy thing whatever what our fear of heights our fear of everything it's it's for the survival of our species right. so um i was anyway i was doing a fake news piece that we've discovered evidence of the clownosaur 
<laughs> that explains like our fear of clowns because I can't find like a historical root why we would be afraid of clowns. Right, right. But it turns out humans used to be hunted by these like crazy <laughs> like clown things that went extinct. And he comes out, asks what I'm writing, and I explain it to him, and then I go, but I don't think I can do that because obviously humans and dinosaurs never coexisted. And he goes, what are you talking about? And I was like, what do you mean, man? And he goes like, what, what do you mean? They never, and I was like, they never lived together, obviously. There's millions and millions and millions of years apart. And he goes, uh, he goes what about Flintstones? <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'm like, dude, are you serious? And like, it wound up being a huge fight because the thing that made me angry, like I don't care if someone doesn't know information. That's totally fine. If you don't know the trivia, that's fine. Mm-hmm. But the lack of curiosity, the lack of like wanting to learn more, that infuriates <laughs> yeah. me about people. Like in, intellectual laziness infuriates me. Of just of just like uh, no, I think I got it. My I'm pretty sure this is yeah. pretty my sure. Favorite uh, misunderstood evolution story. Oh, concept evolution. I think I stop me if I've mentioned this one on the show before, but I think it. It was a it was a comedian friend of ours. I won't name the particular comic, but I will. Uh, he was talking to another friend of ours, Bethany Black, uh, who's a comic back in the UK. So she relayed this story of of our mutual friend talking about. Um, there was a girl in the bar, and she had like her arm in a cast, or a, uh, uh, no, it was a leg actually. And she and he went, guys find that girl attractive. She went what? And he went, guys find that girl attractive uh, because of the weakness it's in our system. It's embedded from evolution, you know, because <laughs> when we 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 have it in us to prey on on the weaker people from back when we were lions. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, wow. Did it, you know, That's a great just, twist. I'm just going to stop you right there. Yeah. What did you just say? You know, back from when we were lions, we Ooh. would chase the weakest, like, gazelle in the pack. And it turns out he, he does believe in evolution, but he thinks it's like a straight timeline on which every animal appears. <laughs> like, just as Wow. Sad. So lions are going to be giraffes next and then, like, work their way up <laughs> to human. That's become, amazing. A weird That's Buddhist great. philosophy. <laughs> That's really great. <laughs> If you're a really good lion, maybe yeah, you come back as a. <laughs> wow, man! What does he think awesome. the step below human is? I don't. I guess monkey or something. Right. And I don't know wow, what came before that cat. <laughs> right. Right. Wow, man! That's amazing. That's amazing. Well, that's probably about all the time we have. But uh, do you have any? Um, are you doing anything? Are you defending anything publicly so any of our listeners can <laughs> come publicly. check out? Or, um, yeah, you've been very funny and endearing. Any... Where can people find yeah, more of you? Oh, thank you. I guess, um, shucks, I, I'll be going back to Peru every summer for the next few years to continue my field work into these wacky sponges uh, sure. that took over after this mass extinction, it seems. And I do have a travel blog that I oh, write yeah. when I'm there. Although, oh, um, there this last summer, Ritter I Bushwhacked. Bad. It's called. Um, I think it's called Up the Andes Back in Time, but the actual uh, sort of blog link on it from USC is uh, Spongeblog, because that sort of nice. seems quippy. Um, I feel bad this past year. I did it last year. It was very successful. This year, I braided um, our technology team to get me access to the blog and then had no internet access while I was traveling. Sure. So I wrote lots of entries that I still haven't posted, but the pictures are fun. Lots of llamas, childhood dream come true. So gotta I guess- Gotta get that paperwork in. I get, And then gotta get that <laughs> gotta paperwork post in. Those so blog I, posts. I will be, you can find me applying for faculty jobs across the country for the next couple of years. I'm moving to Chicago in January to start a postdoctoral fellowship at the University of Chicago. So um, So what what does your husband do then? He... (laughs) Because you seem to travel so much. 
Is this getting too personal? <laughs> no, no, no. It's just a funny. I, I travel, so what does he do? Like, why does he wait for me, or why is he? No, no. I just mean it seems. No, but it seems like you're gone for like long spells, you know, and things yeah, like that. Yeah. And you're like similar life to a touring and, comic. Yeah, and then you're like, I'm moving to Chicago, so I would assume that would be a co-move. I don't Actually, know. so my husband just so I didn't finished to, yeah, his PhD there, right? in seismology. Okay. He studies earthquakes, and um, he's moving to Fairbanks, Alaska. Okay. So um, we got married knowing that these, you know, we know where, but sure, we're right. going to happen. There is a direct flight between Fairbanks and Chicago. So there's that. Oh. And right now he's actually doing a postdoctoral fellowship at Scripps Institute at um, San Diego. So okay. I was just with him in Palm Springs at the um, Southern California Earthquake Center has an annual meeting out there. So it's fun. I went okay. sort of as a more lay person to look at the posters and talk Did to Did you dress as the San Andreas faults no. or anything? <laughs> no, no, no. But um, but it was fun. And I, no, I was just wondering how science couple, couple worked. Yeah. That's science couple wondering. can be really tough. It's the most foolish thing to marry another scientist because I want a faculty job, he wants a faculty job, and where can we find uh, jobs in the same town where we can settle down and do that? And particularly right. often, like if they work in the same field. Well, it like, can that's be better even... or worse. It sort of depends. Yeah. Well, where look, if, if it's something quite specific, then you're like, well, we already ha- have one of these. <laughs> you guys, you guys <laughs> exactly. got it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So it'll be fun to navigate, but I'm confident we can do it. Oh, no, no. I, I, yeah, I was just asking for uh, the logistics. Not. It's called the two-body problem. That's a it's a real thing. That's that's what everybody calls it in you know in the biz <laughs> of academia. There's it's a so really cute non-human. <laughs> there's a there's a really cute proposal out there where a physicist wrote um, a paper that looks like a published paper that he then gave to his now fiance that was you know an analysis of the two body problem all with uh, you know physics mumbo jumbo but it was about that made that made it was a national news wow. thing yeah yeah can't yeah. even imagine how wet she was after that huh? <laughs> probably very if she was the right girl oh, so. yeah. Whoa, what a yeah. turn. Mm, you wrote a complex logarithm? <laughs> yes, yes. Go on. Yes, we need a new chair. Well, actually, I'm wearing my engagement ring, which is made out of snail fossils. Whoa. Oh, my God. How'd you, yeah. how'd you, where did you go to get that made? So, uh, Amir, my husband, um, found online, he mused, like, what could I have done? And he decided that um, stone would be appropriate. And mm. he thought, oh, granite, something like that. And so he found a guy um, online who's amazing. His name is Jim Quaintance. And he makes rocks, uh, he makes rings out of all kinds of rocks beautiful granites and garnets and things mm-hmm. like that but he asked him can you make something out of a rock that's fossiliferous and so this one has been turned into glass basically it's chert like this black rock that sure. the sponge is made oh. out of but it's full of little snail fossils so see those little white um, those little white swirls oh, those wow. are all little fossil sea snails wow. can I also take a picture of this yeah, you can. ring or is you that can. A, so he so we were above a waterfall in Yosemite and he pulled this out and wow. I was blown away wow. and his wedding ring is a tattoo of a seismogram <laughs> Okay. Does the tattoo on you know, his ring finger? Yeah, yeah. Of, of a specific earthquake? Yes, of the Chino Hills earthquake that was, I want to say, 2008, 2009. I specified that I didn't want it to be an earthquake in which somebody died. Right. So he oh. chose the one that was the first earthquake he ever felt, as okay. recorded at USC. Cool. Wow. And, so let that be a lesson to you guys out there. If you want to... Uh, Want to nail yourself a sponge expert? <laughs> you get yourself a uh, what was that guy's name? Jim. Jim Quaintance. Jim Quaintance. Yeah, he makes Jim. rings out of stone. It's called Rings of Stone. That's his website. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty uh, awesome. It's very Tolkien esque looking. I like it. Oh, are you looking? You're, 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 you're oh, mine. Yeah, 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 yeah. And his yeah. his his creations are really beautiful and a real work of art. So it's, wow. I'm very happy about it. That's wow. awesome. Yeah. Well, that's great. Well, thanks so much for coming. This was great. I love. I think our listeners love when we have actual. They really do. <laughs> like we we get really feedback from the um, episodes where we have actual scientists talking actual science. Well, actual scientists listen, too, so they'll enjoy it. Because I yeah. think normally they're just yelling at their dashboard <laughs> at how dumb we are. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we, we do, like, it does always... That's a, not how it works! Testicle biting fish, what are you talking about? <laughs> 
It doesn't, it doesn't even hang that low. It's like <laughs> it does amaze and delight me when we when we get emails from. Like I love when we get emails from uh, and messages from any listeners. By the way, probablyscience at gmail right, right. or tweet us at probablyscience. But uh, but particularly when people go, hey, I listened to you in our lab. You go, why are you doing that? <laughs> like wait, we we are setting your work back. We are setting back your science. But thank you. Um, any questions, comments, clarifications, always please do email us in. And yeah. as always, we do say. Um, go on iTunes, give us nice ratings, yeah. uh, write nice comments, because that's the easiest way you can help us out. Um, tell your friends, spread the word, and if you really want to help us out with things like the hosting costs, um, uh, we do have a few expenses to actually have this thing going, then at probablyscience.com there's a little donate button. Um, we're, again, I'm always amazed and delighted when people send stuff in that's really touching and lovely that yeah. people care enough about the show to do that people like Eric Bowles who just sent in a donation last week thank you Eric thank you Eric um, but yeah um, oh at- also we had someone uh, tweet at us asking how they could ha- let's see um, listener Sean Smith asks what is the easiest way to support the podcast without paying anything having to write something or listening for an hour <laughs> um, I would say positive thoughts positive thoughts <laughs> don't actively hinder us let's right. just <laughs> right if you see us coming down the street don't push us in front of a car yeah so yeah like w- maybe tell uh, your friends yeah wait would that be hmm. no that'd be a hindrance that's okay, not writing or listening yes tell your friends tell your friends so like you know talk about us in talk about us loudly in a bar so that other people will overhear right. hey yeah. i hear that uh probably science podcast is pretty damn good yeah yeah there's no one you're, you're not talking to any right now why who are you talking <laughs> Why? Like a crazy person. <laughs> just, um, so yeah, thanks, thanks everyone who's donated and written in and reviewed and all and, that stuff. And thank you again, uh, Kathleen Ridderbush for yeah, great guest. That was yeah, that was yeah great. thanks guys. This was hilarious. Inventive. Yeah, thank you so much. And best of luck in finalizing the crossing of the T's and dotting of the I's and becoming send a in that paperwork. I'm not going to say the word. <laughs> not going to say the word. I mean, I hate you, paperwork. But. I had expired plates for three years one time. On my car. Kill ya. Yeah. That's, I hate paperwork. So it's I would never worst. get a doctorate. But the that's the reason. Yeah. That's the one thing. <laughs> that's, that would, that's the thing. Yeah. That's contestant number three, ladies and gentlemen. If you want to pick contestant number oh, three. Oh, man. Longest time without Deepest that. Dickens. <laughs> Deepest. That has been Probably Science. We'll see you next week. Bye.